Welcome to the Thrive Podcast, the place where you will get to know inspiring real-life women who dare to do the uncommon. They embrace who they are in their life's purpose, and most importantly, they thrive because of it. I am Olga Mueller, a personal success coach and speaker, passionate traveler, and unshakable believer that everyone deserves to live a life they love without ever having to feel guilty about it. Each week, I will introduce you to powerhouse women from all around the world to show you that you can create a fulfilling life you love, no matter the circumstances, personal history, or topic. Me and my fellow ladies are here to bust your fears, your feelings of guilt and shame, and boost your confidence to a whole new level where you are finally able to see that I can do it too. Get ready to dare, embrace, and thrive unapologetically with us. Let's do this. Welcome to a new episode of the Thrive Podcast. Today I have Anne Ruthman from New York with me. Um, Anne has been a self-employed creative entrepreneur since 2005 and has successfully traversed the journey from hustling hard to finding creative flow and freedom, allowing her to travel the world several times over. She's an intuitive business consultant for freelancers and creatives who want to work with a mentor that considers personal creative and energetic flow as an important part of any business strategy. Her background is just as creative and varied as the clients she serves, moving from a career in business Uh, marketing and management to being a musician and music teacher to being a full-time photographer her belief is that when people make a good living doing what they love they have more energy passion and creativity to make the world a better place and I'm so happy that you're here with us today and welcome Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much for hosting such a great podcast. I mean, I know how much effort it takes behind the scenes and it's fabulous that you're putting that in. Oh, thank you so much. So you just mentioned to me, let's maybe just start with this. You just mentioned that tomorrow you're actually going uh, to travel for a year again. I mean, I, I just I mentioned that traveling has been quite a big part of your life. So what is this going to be all about, actually? So... Um, Part of this is because, so I'm married and my husband is a professor mm -hmm. and I didn't think that being a professor was a very flexible thing until I've seen him kind of make a lot of things flexible, <laughs> but he has a sabbatical and oh, so he's okay. able to take either six months um, or a year off mm -hmm. and he, you know, there are compromises that come with that. He has to do some research in some areas and so he was looking at a couple different places to do this research. And of course, pitched to me, hey, what do you think about traveling um, with me or staying in these places? One of them is Shanghai. One of them is Paris. Um, there's a couple other places between like Sweden, Norway, um, Helsinki. We'll see how it all flushes out because there's you still will, so many unknowns. You will, you will love them all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we've stayed in, but we've stayed in a lot of these places okay. before. Um, but I'm hoping mm -hmm. that um, while I'm in Shanghai, I can use it as a jumping pad to mm -hmm. visit places I haven't visited yet. And so that's that's how I'm using this time. Um, and so it was really came down to, okay, so if I'm going to do that with you, if I'm going to be in those places with mm -hmm. you, what do I need to do in my business, yeah. which has traditionally been a very in-person, service-based business, mm -hmm. how do I need to... Um, change my business in order to be there and go there and do that with you. And so this last year and a half has been me pulling back from my in-person business to create more online business, oh. do more flexible business um, mm -hmm. that I can do at distance through the internet, um, through consultations or asynchronous business um, that allows me to operate on different time zones. <laughs> yeah, very cool. So I've been preparing that over the last year. Um, Yeah, because I, I, I put I place a very high value on freedom and travel. Yeah. And so anytime I can kind of change what I'm doing to make that happen for mm -hmm. me, um, I'm willing to do it. <laughs> Amazing. And so what will be the focus of, of your business then for the next year? So um, a couple things have been coming up for me. I mean, I've been a creative business consultant and strategist for the last uh, like 11 years. Mm -hmm. um, so that's always kind of been in my wheelhouse. It's always been a side gig while mm -hmm. I was a professional photographer. 
Um, but that has been ramping up a lot. I just published a book in the last year called the pricing workbook for creatives. Mm -hmm. And that is really the foundational piece that I wanted a lot of my clients to have before mm -hmm. they, we started working together because I found that so often we were kind of stuck focusing on the basics of like sustainability and profitability. And I was like, man, if they could just have all these formulas and do them, and then we can work on the more strategic stuff, yeah. that would be great. So I finished that book. Um, that's now out in the world and people can access it on Amazon pretty much anywhere. And, um, so that was one piece of the creative business consulting that I really wanted to have, you know, out there online, getting people ready to maybe have a deeper dive into mm. some consulting work. And then the other aspect was something I really didn't plan to become a business, mm -hmm. but it has turned into a business. So, um, I think it was in 2000 maybe 15, I started exploring Reiki uh -huh. healing practices um, for my own self-care as an entrepreneur in New York City, which is super intense with energy and hustle. Yeah. <laughs> and I was really like, how do I manage this level of intensity? And sometimes it's very chaotic and sometimes mm -hmm. it's very stressful. And so Reiki really helped me do that, but I wasn't really expected to take it anywhere. But after um, I started just doing the practice of mm -hmm. serving other people. People started saying, hey, this is really valuable. I really you know, value the way that you do this, and I want to continue working with you. And so I started attracting a lot of Reiki clients, un, you know, not really trying, but I love the work and I love helping people. Awesome. Um, so I figured out how to do some of that work in a distance way. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to test it a lot. I had to test quite a few people to see if I could do it at distance, mm. if I could asynchronously, because there's not always a good connection online when I'm in China. Yeah. So I was like, can I, can I do the intuitive work of kind of like reading mm -hmm. someone's energetic physical systems and then deliver all of the information to them in a way that they can understand it? And um, I tested that. People said that it was very effective, very good, very accurate. I was like, wow, okay, well, I guess I can also offer that. <laughs> so, Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so it's been a, a way of testing things and trying them out, seeing what was going to work, and um, yeah, seeing what people value. That's probably the biggest part of it. Wow. Very nice. And so maybe you can share with, with everybody listening a little bit, you know, how did you start out? Because, you know, like I mentioned, you've been really like uh, an entrepreneur for like 14 years now. Um, I mean, how did you get started? You know, in, in, in what made you actually, what was the first thing? What was the first business that you actually started? I mean, Do you have any role models in your family that, that you know, you, you got this, let's say, not the idea, but, you know, where you already kind of gotten familiarized with this concept of, you know, becoming an entrepreneur? Or were you the first person to, you know, uh, lead the path? <laughs> How was it? <laughs> um, I was the first in my family that mm -hmm. I know of um, or that I knew of at the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, in retrospect, I had a couple other people in my family, but I didn't really know that they were doing things that were, that were entrepreneurial mm -hmm. and I didn't really know what that space looked like. So my first taste was actually freelancing as a promotional model at the age of like 19, mm. I think. Um, and I had a modeling portfolio done and I would go out and do these promotional jobs where basically you're just handing out product or mm -hmm. you're sponsoring a product in some way. And I loved at that moment, that moment was when the, I felt like, oh, wow, there's this way of working in which you just agree to show up whenever you want to show up. You're highly paid because you have to come with all of your own resources. Um, and it's contract work, so you can say yes or no. You don't have to show up nine to five, right? Mm -hmm. So that was like my first taste into mm. freelancing and working for myself. I was an independent contractor. I had mm -hmm. to sort out the tax part on my own end, the health insurance stuff on my own end. And then I went into school um, because I had been in the corporate world for a while. And I was like, I'm just not jiving with the corporate world. And so I tried to go into, um, music education as mm -hmm. a public music educator. because I thought at least in that space, I would feel like I'm giving more back to the world or I'm mm -hmm. doing more good. And I still felt constrained by the public school system. <laughs> <laughs> Those institutions. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, this, there's something <laughs> about this structure that does not work for me. Um, and so I was, I freelance, started freelancing as a musician at that time. 
How old were you back myself. then? Just for us to um, get an idea. Yeah, that was, I think I started singing professionally. And when I say singing professionally, I don't mean like going out on an opera stage and being a soloist. I mean like singing in a church choir that pays section mm. leaders mm-hmm. um, or showing up and doing a solo at like an event mm-hmm. or a wedding or something like that. Um, so there's like, there's like mini level of performer yeah. and then there's like big level of performer, right? Um, that was, I think at the age of 22 or 23. Mm. Um, yeah. Cause it was like a little bit of a career switch at that point too. But near the end of my degree, near the end of music education, I started taking pictures of, um, other people's like recital posters mm-hmm. and I was working in film and I need, I was like, Hey guys, I need help. Um, can you pay for the film? Can you pay for the developing? And so that was like my my baby steps into mm-hmm. photography as a profession. And then people I didn't know started asking me to photograph for them after seeing other people's pictures. Mm. And I was like, well, it's going to take me a lot of time. I'm going to need to train myself on certain techniques that I don't know yet. So I feel like I need to just charge more than just the film and developing. And so that was really where I started to work out the business model. Like, what does the business mm. model look like? How much time is this going to take me? Um, how much service do I need to provide to feel like I'm doing a really good job and giving a really great service? And so that was really where it started. And that was the age of 24, 23. I'm like trying to do the math. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's just like to have a rough number, you know, um, yeah. Just to, to show um, people, you know, because th- what I also want to, you know, always convey, you know, there is no one right way. Sometimes you can start off with, you know, with your business, like with when you're 60 years old. And sometimes when you're almost, you know, I, I watch Shark Tank and sometimes there are kids who are like 10 years old and they already generated, I don't know, $100,000. And I'm sitting here, I'm like what the fuck am I doing <laughs> like wrong, you know, <laughs> or what are they doing right? Better said, you know? And so, yeah. uh, there's just all kinds of ways to make this happen. And so I'm curious, did you have like any, any business, um, you know, uh, education or, or background that helped you in a, getting started? I a little bit of business education, um, right out of high school, you know, my dream was something very different, but I felt Like I needed to do something really practical based on the advice everybody else was giving me. <laughs> so I went into a business marketing and management program mm. and I was working in sales and marketing at the time. Okay. And at that time I learned that I could sell really well. Like I learned that all of my acting and theater background mm. turned me into a great salesperson <laughs> and being a great salesperson meant that I could pretty much make money for anybody. So why not make money for myself? Mm. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, I really don't like that I am creating so much profit for this mm-hmm. CEO who just wants to buy a bigger yacht and mm. a bigger mansion. I'm like, I feel like I could do some really good things with that money that would actually help a few more people. Mm. <laughs> I love that. And so what happened, you know, after the photography? So so you got started as a, as a freelancing photographer. And I built my business up from there. Um, I went full time almost within a year of starting my business. Um, it just, it kind of took off in a way that I didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Um, but the demand was there. People wanted to work with a professional photographer. They knew me. They liked me. Um, I loved the work. I was so passionate about it. I was sharing it a lot. And um, it quickly just went from like doing a few weddings to doing a full-time job of weddings. And then um, from there, it helped me move my business several times. So my husband was trying to find his ideal career at the time. Mm -hmm. He kept moving. We moved from Michigan. Then we moved to Indiana. And I was then serving clients on all like the coasts Mm -hmm. and um, outside of the international borders. And then we moved to Massachusetts. And my prices had to change at that point because living in the Midwest was very different price wise than living on the East coast. Yeah. And so then I had to really like change my business model because now all the people who used to be able to afford me could not afford me. I lost a lot of those referrals. So then I had to figure out how to build the business quickly in the East coast area. And that changed my business model a little bit. I was also, um, in a place where I wanted more weekends back because yeah. weddings often happen on weekends and that's not the schedule that my friends or family had. They yeah. had weekends 
open and I didn't have weekends open. So I lost a lot of family time during those years. So I decided to switch up my model a little bit and start trying to find more work that I could do on the weekdays with photography. And that naturally led me into doing more editorial and commercial work. Mm-hmm. Um, for universities, for um, corporate events. And so I was able to shift what I was doing in that space um, to really allow me to change my schedule, still allowing me to kind of accept what I could accept and, you know, refer away the work that I couldn't Mm. take. And then um, we moved to New York City. My husband got another offer. and I was like, oh, my gosh, if I know. Stop it already. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I know we were going to move so many times. I think I would have maybe made a different choice. (laughs) Restarting a business is is not, you know, for the faint of heart. It's not an easy thing to do. But luckily, um, I had enough kind of like footing to know that I could, at that point, I'd already restarted several times. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? All right, I'm just going to hit the pavement running. And when I got to New York City, I thought I was going to keep doing like the corporate event, the educational mm-hmm. institution kind of work. But that really wasn't in the same level of supply as it was in Massachusetts. Mm. And so the thing that was in higher demand in New York City that I quickly learned was architecture and interior photography. Now that wasn't, it was really just Manhattan. Like Manhattan is a huge real estate market, constant turnover in real estate, constant turnover in design and architecture. And somehow a whole series of things just kind of came my way. The hardest part for me was recognizing that it was coming my way and that I needed to be open to a new path and a new kind of market. What do you think, what do you think held you, held you back from seeing those things or what was going on? Um, initially when I entered the New York market, I had a contract with Airbnb Mm -hmm. and it didn't pay very well. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh man, this, this real estate space is not, it's, it's a lot of hustle for not a lot of pay. Mm I mean, I could do it for a little while to get my footing in this area, but this is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a way to make make it work. I found mm-hmm. a way to like compress enough jobs in enough locations that I could still finish the day out in a profitable way. Um, but I was like, this is too much hustle. I'm this is not what I want. And mm-hmm. so then I had to figure out how to create the space in my schedule to have bigger clients. And mm-hmm. then where was I going to find those bigger clients? Um, And so it was really a process of like, okay, well, I've learned how to hustle and make it work with the hustle, but now I want to learn how to make it work without all the hustle, Mm -hmm. right? I want to learn how to make the space. I want to learn how to have clients who want a deeper level of service and a a richer level of detail in the work. And so then it was like, okay, well, who is that? Interior designers, architects, all right, well, where am I going to find them? Mm -hmm. And had by chance a kind of like, friend of a friend worked for a major architecture institution Mm -hmm. and invited me to do a couple jobs because they knew that I was already entering into that space Mm -hmm. of interiors and architecture. And so I did a couple jobs for their firm, went really well, made great connections. And then that just built the portfolio. Mm. But what was funny at that time was I didn't have enough of a portfolio Mm -hmm. to like create a whole new website or create a whole new thing. So I was just pounding the pavement, showing Mm. up at networking meetings saying, Hey guys, I'm here for you. I will send you a portfolio by email. Don't even have to go to a website because it doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'll make it more convenient for you. Don't waste your time. Like scrolling through the website. I'll just send it to you directly. Yeah. And that was, um, a way that I was able to break through, um, you know, where a lot of other people think they have to have the website first Mm -hmm. in order to present themselves. And I was like, no, if you can meet people where they are and just to hand deliver them the information that they need to have to Mm. make their decision, you don't need the website. Mm. (laughs) And in the photography world, that seems unreasonable. Like people think that that is unfathomable. And I actually wrote a long post about how I operated for an entire year without any photography portfolio while I was changing over from events and weddings to architecture and interiors. And It was really just hand delivering that information to people and like meeting them where they are and finding them and like just reaching out individually. It's amazing what is possible in that space. And do you think that this is also something, you know, that has helped you in your other business, the um, consulting business and also now the 
the Reiki business that you're starting out? Or what do you consider like are were the biggest, you know, success factors in that sense that have helped you, you know, constantly adapt to new environments, but still, you know, make it work and make it profitable? Yeah. Well, I think the, the I mean, to me, reaching out is one thing. Mm -hmm. Knowing what your profitability point is another thing. So mm -hmm. like the pricing workbook for creatives that I made helps you know your profitability point so that mm -hmm. when you are putting yourself out there, you're not you're not just taking what other people say you're worth, you're, you're presenting what you're worth. And I mm. think that that presents a stronger case of professionalism. Mm -hmm. When people come at it, a new client with like, well, what can you afford? It really makes it seem like, oh, you don't actually know what you're worth. But when you present yourself with, I know what I'm worth, this is what I'm sharing with you, what are the you know like challenges or barriers that you see or what do you expect out of this number or mm -hmm. you know this level of service what 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 are you looking for at this rate and um, I think that presents a stronger case for mm -hmm. uh, working with people as far as finding them um, and reaching out to them I think that is really more about knowing who you're aiming for, like, mm -hmm. are what kind of client are you aiming for? Are you aiming for an individual who's mm -hmm. spending their time on Facebook? Or are you aiming for an individual who's spending their time on LinkedIn? Or are you aiming for an individual who is part of a larger organization? Mm -hmm. What are those organizations? Where are they in the organization? So like when I was um, marketing to, let's say, wedding clients, those mm -hmm. are individual personal clients who are, you know, in the wedding planning phase of like, I want to see a lot of wedding ideas. I want to see a lot of, um, I want to see pictures from my own venue. I want to see pictures of certain types of flowers or certain types of styles of weddings. So then how do you find them in those spaces? And so I, at the time, um, we didn't have Pinterest yet when mm -hmm. I was starting at that point. Um, so blogs were like the initial form of Pinterest. Mm -hmm. And so I created a lot of um, rich blog detail that would apply to certain venues, um, or it would apply to certain vendors like florists, um, certain styles of weddings. I got really personal and a lot of the information that I shared so people could connect with me personally online through a blog. Mm -hmm. And that was very successful in that space. Mm. Um, and then when it came to like marketing to, um, architects and interior designers, they, generally fall into a larger firm unless they're like an early level professional. And mm -hmm. then they might be looking for other um, subcontractors or ven vendors in places like Thumbtack, which is a place where you can kind of list your service online and mm -hmm. then other people can vet you through Thumbtack. Um, there might be other things like Upwork or some other freelancing things where smaller businesses could find you. But if you're aiming at like a large corporate space, mm -hmm. what are, are the companies? Are you talking to the marketing director? Are mm -hmm. you talking to the HR director? Like, who are you talking to and how can you find their name in the company structure? Yeah. <laughs> and then send them, send them a pitch or a proposal or say, hey, do you already have somebody you love working with? Do you need more people that you enjoy working with? Mm. And that's a great way to get in because sometimes you'll talk to people and they'll say, oh, no, I already have one of those. Like, I already mm -hmm. have a photographer. Or we already have a yoga wellness person who comes mm -hmm. to our office. And that's when you can say, well, do you, are there ever situations where you need a second person or mm -hmm. you need an alternative? And then you get them thinking, oh, well, yeah, like that person might go on vacation mm -hmm. or they may not be available on the dates that we want instead of meeting them at their no, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, so those are like some strategies for like, what, what level client are you aiming at? How do you find them? How do you connect with them in a space they're, they are already operating in, mm -hmm. they are already invested in. Um, cause that's really what it comes down to. It's harder to find you. Yeah, um, <laughs> if they don't know what they're looking for, it's easier for you to find them if you know who you're looking for. So really being proactive proactive like from your side and you know really like you said meeting people or looking for them you know at the place that they are at yeah is what really helped you a lot in making the business work instead of I feel like in in the online space I don't know what is your your take on it I would say like 
I don't know if it's easier or, or more challenging because there's such an overflow like of everything, like of people who offer their services, but also uh, like regarding platforms that people are at. And, you know, you don't really you can't really get a hold of who those people really are sometimes. Maybe right. le maybe less so on LinkedIn or so because it's more professional. But on the other side, it's like, you know, people uphold an image, not necessarily the reality. Yeah. So then it's maybe about, um, so I'm still developing more of my online practices to mm -hmm. really get it, to really dig into how to identify people mm -hmm. online, but I know what's worked so far, right? So far, what has worked is being engaged in groups that care about the same things you mm -hmm. care about, right? So if what you care about is, um, a certain particular type of art, get involved in those art groups. If what you care about is wellness, get involved in wellness groups. Mm. Um, if what you care about is entrepreneurship, get involved in entrepreneurship groups. Mm. Um, your clients may or may not be in that space. Your colleagues, mm. if, if what you are interested in in an industry perspective are in that space, they may be able to provide referrals for you or they may be able to share ideas with you about um, how their clients are finding them or how mm. their clients are engaging with them. So one of the things that really helped me test my um, Reiki mm -hmm. offering was being part of kind of a spirituality group. Mm -hmm. And in that spirituality group, um, I knew that people were already interested in this work. They were already invested in making it happen. And so that was a great place for me to say, hey, guys, I would love to test an offering that I have. It's going to be way discounted from what it normally is, but you, you do need to bring something to the table. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, you're not really investing in the work itself. Um, but you know, here's a great, and it obviously has to be a group where it offers are okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Sometimes they're not. Yeah. You have to make sure that that's an okay space to do that. Um, otherwise you might do it through somebody has a question mm -hmm. and they say, Hey guys, I don't know how to prices or I don't know how to solve this problem. And then you can message them you know, maybe respond in the comments saying something like, Oh, you know what? I have a solution for that. If you want, I'll message you about it. But you know, there's mm -hmm. no, no hitch here. Yeah. Like it's, if you want to hear about it, I'll share it, but I'm not, I'm mm -hmm. not reaching out, um, without permission. So I think that that's one of those ways that we mm -hmm. operate and identify people in the online space, at least that have worked for me, that have allowed me to test things, um, that have allowed me to find new clients. Mm -hmm. I think also putting yourself in a space, um, that is already like a, a marketplace, mm -hmm. like, like Thumbtack. Um, this, mm -hmm. this is a very local service. I don't know how international it is, but it's, it's seems to be targeting larger cities at the moment, mm -hmm. um, where people basically are searching this, this site for a contractor or subcontractor mm -hmm. or for a service. And they get a lot of bids from several different people who are available. Um, they can put out their time frame that they are available. They can put out what they're looking for and practitioners um, services can respond to their requests if they're available. So they are like being hand delivered a series of leads if they've never tried this thing that they're investigating. Mm. So that's another place too. I think the a marketplace where there's already people searching for what you offer mm -hmm. is important. Um, so and I, I would say there are also mixed results when it comes to directory listings. So um, in the photography world, what I noticed was that there were a lot of directory services opening up, but not delivering to their clients. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and I was like, huh, I see what they're doing. They're collecting a lot of money from photographers, but they're not actually delivering the SEO that will bring clients to their site. They're not actually connecting with the venues. They're not, they're not building out their service. They're just... Mm -hmm grabbing money from people. And so I think you have to be a little cautious and leery about that. Yeah. If you can, if you can find where your clients are going and you can ask that question by saying, Hey, how did you find the whatever, um, near you? Like, how did you find the yoga instructor you mm -hmm. love? How did you find the, um, the coach that you love? Mm -hmm. How did you find, um, you know, a consultant that you loved? How did you find mm -hmm. an accountant you loved? Whatever it is that you want to do, ask other people how they found that person. And that will give you the trail, right? Mm. 
of, of how people get there. So I know for me, um, a lot of my in-person Reiki clients found me because I was assisting a class mm -hmm. or I was already participating in a class, teaching a class. Mm -hmm. And where they would come in um, like through a meditation session or mm -hmm. a group meditation. And that's how they could feel out my vibe, mm -hmm. right? They could be like, mm, do I trust her? Is she yeah. too off the rails? Is she too woo-woo? Is she grounded? Is she real? Um, so that's where people could kind of like test my energy, their energy, see if we would sync up and then decide from there if they wanted to go further. And so then if that's also like a matter of having a small offering that can move people into a bigger space mm -hmm. or a bigger offering, which is something that we practice a lot online as well. Like if you like these videos of this person, mm -hmm. do you then want to work with them? Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's, uh, it's the same for everybody. Like, and especially if you're making like, let's say a bigger investment into a service, you want to have like confidence uh, or, um, uh, yeah, like trust in the person that you're pur purchasing from. You're not going to give them all your trust from, you know, just seeing an ad necessarily yeah. unless I mean, like unless like the copy is so great <laughs> that you're like oh my god i need to have yeah. this um but so like and i mean just talking to you like you seem like a very confident person so what would you say has helped you to develop you know the confidence or belief in yourself in to you know take this let's say venture of entrepreneurship to you know never give up to adapt to all those different situations to even branch out into new businesses to even um i i and i want to get to this in a minute to your ted talk where you said you know you basically when you got the first chance to travel for a year um around the world i mean you just left and sold everything you know at home and you just went for it so you know Where do you take this confidence from and what helps you to, you know, keep it at a level like this? Yeah, um, I often think I have an unreasonable level of confidence. <laughs> um. <laughs> Is there some uh, something like that? <laughs> um, you know, initially, I when I dig back into my history, yeah. I look at what are the things that I've overcome. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of confidence comes from taking risks, failing, mm -hmm. and getting back up. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's almost as simple as that, but that is the hardest freaking thing to do. Yes. Take a risk, be willing to fail, be willing to learn from failure, and be willing to get back mm -hmm. up. Um, so I think I've done that probably hundreds of times, um, taken a risk, failed, gotten back up, taken a risk, failed, gotten back up, mm -hmm. risk. you know, so <laughs> through that, I've learned a lot and I've learned that no matter what risks I take, no matter if I fail, mm -hmm. I can still get back up. I don't have to stay in the place of failure. I don't have to stay in the place of not succeeding. I don't have to stay in the place of feeling like I didn't do something right. I can just be like, well, what did I learn? What did I learn from that space? What did I learn from that risk? What did I learn from that failure? And um, and really, you know, like you mentioned the TED Talk, mm -hmm. there are a lot of, there are five questions in that TED Talk that would keep pushing me forward mm -hmm. into a space of, okay, well, how can I, how can I think a little more productively about this? Mm -hmm. How can I get myself out of that space that feels like failure, that feels like I didn't do something well enough or I didn't do it right? Um, I think a, challenging our own self-doubt, mm -hmm. challenging our own mm -hmm. self-judgment um, is a practice of, it's a mindset practice for sure, to be able to listen to your judgment of yourself and kind of think, is that true? Mm -hmm. But how is that not true? Mm -hmm. Like for a long time, I felt like I wasn't pretty enough for mm -hmm. a whole lot of things. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, men don't have to be pretty and they accomplish plenty of things. Like, why do I have to be some, some molded form of pretty or some yeah. like, why am I subscribing to that? Mm -hmm. Why am I feeding myself that mentality? Why am I judging myself in that mm -hmm. way? Like I could invest so much more time in something more productive than trying to eat away at how I look or eating away at like how I, I don't know that I'm not perfect enough. So I think um, that's one thing as well. Once I really fully accepted like, 
work with what you got, girl. Mm. Don't try to change it. Don't keep, you know, you're investing so much time in trying to change yourself instead of trying to accept yourself. Mm -hmm. Like if you could just accept yourself for a while, just accept that, hey, you're a quirky girl. You're going to wear glasses. You're going to have freckles. You're going to have like big chunky cheeks and a big forehead and it's going to be okay. People are still going to be okay with that. <laughs> you're going to have some rolls here. You're going to have a little bit of dimples there. Yeah. It's all okay. It doesn't stop Oprah. So it doesn't have <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. And so did, did you ever, I mean, for me, for example, one thing that has, I feel like has helped me back a lot last year is always like this thought of, you know, not being enough in a sense like, oh, but, you know, I don't know enough yet. Um, I don't have enough skills yet. Like, I'm not ready enough. What if people, you know, don't, um, what if I don't deliver what clients are expecting from me? Did you ever have uh, one of those fears in, in your you know, journey? I I think I mitigated a lot of those fears by testing things, mm. by, by entering a space of saying, Hey, I want to test this with you. Mm -hmm. I'm testing this and I want to get your feedback on it. I want to get your feedback so I can make it better. Mm. And when you enter anything you're going to do next from a space of testing it or mm -hmm. doing a trial of it, you have removed the element of it needing to be perfect. Mm -hmm. You've removed the element of people um, maybe expecting too much upfront mm. because you're being very upfront about the fact that this is something you're testing. It's something mm -hmm. that you're trying out. And I think in that space, people are really excited to work with you. They're really excited to be a part of your journey and a mm. part of your learning. And I think that's where you can gain confidence too, is mm. like I <laughs> distance Reiki is the craziest thing to me. I would have <laughs> Zero confidence to offer distance Reiki if people were not telling me every single time, oh, it's accurate. It's um, validating mm. things I have been thinking about, but didn't, you know, weren't really taken seriously. If people weren't validating this stuff. I'd be mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm not offering it because nobody believes in it. It's not working. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, especially for, yeah. for like services where, for example, in coaching also, I can give you the best techniques and the best knowledge that I have, but if it doesn't click for the other person, right? And if they don't give you the feedback, you know, maybe something that you didn't uh, even expect would make a big impact. They they uh, um, mirror back to you, you know, like this has left me thinking so much or whatever created such a breakthrough. You would not know. Right, right. And and you need them to be in a place of sharing how they felt and sharing mm. what they learned and sharing um, their feedback in an honest, non-intimidating way by kind of coming at it from a, hey guys, I'm just trying this out perspective at the beginning. And then when you build up enough of those, like if you can build up 10 of those and gain your confidence from 10 people telling you how mm. valid the work you're doing is, that's amazing. Like that is, that's a confidence foundation right yeah. there just by trying that. And how about dealing with, you know, criticism or people, let's say haters, <laughs> uh, <Yo>. people, <laughs> and, and I'm not only referring to, you know, like now in the social media world, let's say this is very easy to attract a lot of people who, you know, don't like anything, but also, especially, I think what is a big um, hold back for many people when, for example, they're thinking about going for a business or something out of the ordinary. It's usually the closest circle of family and friends. If they say, you know, this is a crazy idea. Why would you do that? Blah, 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 blah. Like, how do you deal or how have you dealt with uh, this kind of, you know, feedback? I think there are a couple ways of dealing with it um, that have worked for me. Obviously, something different works for everybody else. Um, When it came to photography, I kind of told like the people closest to me, like, hey, I'm just trying this out. I'm just doing it on the side. It's just a side gig mm -hmm. that I'm testing, right? And then they're, they don't really have many judgments when you're just testing. They're like, oh, well, whatever, you know? Yeah, <laughs> she's not going to do it full time, so. Yeah, like you're not trying to make it a thing. <laughs> Um, so I'm not going to judge you on it. And then it became a full-time thing. And then it was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, you guys, this became a full-time thing for me. And they're like, when did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> so there's like the surprise factor yeah. of, um, testing on the side and then suddenly mm -hmm. it's just working and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing that. 
Um, another one, like with Reiki, there was kind of this threshold I felt with um, very religious family members mm-hmm. that I I was like, oh, they're not going to be on board with this. Mm-hmm. No, that was my own fear. That was my own interpretation of how they would receive things or mm. expect things. There's still times when I just see people gloss over completely when I say anything in that realm. And I'm like, okay, I get it. It's kind of like talking to or hearing from a scientist or maybe somebody who's really invested in a sports team Mm -hmm. you know nothing about or a sport you know nothing about. They're just going on and on and on and you're just glossing over you like I'm not really invested in that work. And sometimes I think we can look at people doing that while we're talking about something we're very passionate about and think that they aren't invested or they aren't supporting us or they are judging us. Mm-hmm. But really they're just, they just don't know how to connect. Mm. They just don't know how to make sense of mm-hmm. what you're doing because it there's, they have no concept of it. They yeah. have no framework for it. And so talk about the weather. Just yeah. talk about the weather. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, this is actually yeah. a thing that has popped up quite a few times already that, you know, um, I think sometimes you have to, you know, for your own <laughs> um, self or for the better of yourself, just, you know, with certain people, you probably would like to share those things the most. You have to hold yourself back the most because, like I always like to also mention, is like, you know, they don't have, like you mentioned, they don't have the same understanding or experience as you do. And you you got to know about Reiki and they probably have never heard of it. And so they're like, you're talking about, you know, aliens and maybe traveling (laughs) to some planet we don't even know about. And, but, but we, what we want out of this sharing is like that somebody tells us, you know, oh, you know, Olga or Anne, what a great idea. We want to support you. And this is not going to happen. No, because they, they don't even, if they can't, they have yeah. no concept of what that means or where that's going or what that looks like. And um, and so I've learned that like, okay, well, that's that's how I identify who can I talk to and who mm-hmm. can I talk to. You like, you can't expect that everybody's going to get you and going to understand mm-hmm. you. And so when I see people start to gloss over, I'm like, okay, you're somebody who's mm-hmm. not going to be in that space. But then sometimes you'll mention something like I'll walk into a business networking meeting of people in suits, corporate mm-hmm. insurance, you know, like they are not woo at all. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, Hey guys, I'm a Reiki practitioner. And somebody in the room will say, oh my gosh, my sister had Reiki, (laughs) she healed from cancer, like she did all these amazing things. And I'm like, see, that's the one person I can connect with in the room. I might not be able to connect with the Mm -hmm. other 19 people, but this person gets it and they're validating how Mm -hmm. wonderful the experience is for them. Um, And then maybe some people on the sidelines Mm -hmm. hear this little conversation happening And they're like, huh, what is the healing from cancer? Like, Mm -hmm. that's so bizarre, you know, and then they maybe get a taste of it, Mm -hmm. but they're still not, they're not ready to enter into that Mm -hmm. space yet. And I think entrepreneurship is something that can also have those barriers around it. Like some people just cannot fathom making things happen Mm -hmm. on their own. That's just, it's scary. It's out there. It is nothing like what they want to do in their life. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody starts talking about it, it either feels like a sales pitch They feel like they're trying to get converted (laughs) or they feel like I want nothing to do with that. Right. And so then you talk about the weather or you talk about the TV show you like, or you, (laughs) and what happens in a professional scenario when, I don't know if maybe clients have gotten back to you and I don't know, criticized, you know, the, the service or the product or whatever uh, that you have offered. Like, how do you deal with those kind of situations? Yeah, so sometimes it's valid and sometimes it's not valid. And this is where experience helps create Mm -hmm. the separation. In the beginning, it feels like every criticism of something you create personally Mm -hmm. is personal. Mm. So in the beginning, it was very difficult for me to separate what was a professional criticism Mm -hmm. versus what was a personal criticism versus what was just somebody being a critical person in every space they entered because mm-hmm. there are those people yeah. mm-hmm. and they will take you down if mm. you are not strong. Um, and so in the beginning, thankfully I didn't have too many people who were extra critical about everything. I did have a couple mm-hmm. and they did take me down personally mm-hmm. in the beginning. This was 
taking a risk, failing, mm -hmm. getting back up again, right? Like, okay, my ego took a hit, my feeling like I'm a terrible person took a hit. And then I had to look at, wait a minute, they complained about everything. They complained about every single thing, not just me. They were complaining about everyone in the room mm. all the time. They are the complainer. They're a complainer personality. And, and so then you can kind of identify who might be a red flag mm -hmm. <laughs> as a client or maybe they're, they're, they're a pink flag and mm -hmm. you just know the warning signs, like, you know what to watch out for. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I, being able to identify the complainer personality is one level of protecting yourself mm -hmm. because those people will attack everyone and anyone and the, just their anger goes outward at anything that they can throw it at. And you have to evaluate if their anger is truly about something you did or if it is their own and they're just spilling it onto people. That's hard to identify in the beginning. It gets easier with experience and time. Um, so like, for example, I had one corporate client who was like the CEO of a company. I was doing headshots for the whole company and her idea of her ideal headshot was like a 1980s glamour shot with like total blur on everything. Like it was very dated. This was the image in her mind yeah. of what she was supposed to look like. And so when I delivered an image of what she looks like today, <laughs> not 20 years ago, not with blur all over her yeah. face, not with glowing, um, frizzed out hair, she hated it. She hated it. And, but I took pet shots of everyone in her company and all of the other people in her company loved, loved it, loved the headshots, started using them on LinkedIn. I had social proof. Oh my gosh. They're posting them on LinkedIn mm. right away. They're not going to post it if they don't love it. Yeah. They're not going to change their profile picture if they don't love it. So she tried to tell me that I needed to, um, I know I had already created a dis discounted package for her mm -hmm. that was like, for the cost of 10 headshots, she only had to pay for like essentially seven headshots mm -hmm. because I was able to compress the time. I was able to compress the energy. I didn't have to go to 10 different places. And, um, and so I was already giving her a deal. And so when she tried to come back at me with like, I need this amount of money back or I need the money back mm -hmm. for my session. I'm like, girl, you already got three for free. <laughs> so you got yours free. <laughs> That's, when I get a little sassy, uh, <laughs> I didn't actually say it in that tone. To in her. your head, you were talking to her like that, <laughs> but the physical. Head, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In my, but in my email, of course, I'm very professional. I'm like, well, this is the package that you got, and I can see that um, everyone else in your company has started using these images, and so I am happy to do a reshoot for you. Mm -hmm. I am happy to. Um, retouch this photo in the mm -hmm. way that you would like. I'm happy to provide additional service mm -hmm. to make this more of what you want. She refused it. She wanted the money. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm -mm. I did the work. The work I did yeah. for you was the same work I did for everybody else and everybody else liked it. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to do more work for you for you to like it. But if you're not willing to work with me, yeah. uh -uh. <laughs> so there's that came from experience too. Like I would not have felt comfortable or confident to mm -hmm. say that in the beginning, in the beginning of my business. Mm -hmm. But after doing enough headshots and knowing how volatile mm -hmm. headshots are for people and how vulnerable people get, um, I've developed a few practices for mm -hmm. like people who hate themselves and who want to tell me that I'm the person who mm -hmm. makes them hate themselves. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if everybody else likes themselves. <laughs> no, and it is true. And sometimes, you know, just insist. Sometimes it's also like people insisting in this case on, on money or whatever it is. It's just like, it feels like they need just something, you know, to, um, to, to, to what's the, the word? Yeah, like to, to unleash their, their inner anger, emotions, whatever it is. And you're just like the person that they, they find in that moment and they can use. Yeah. Yeah. Now I will talk about a time when like, it was legit a problem I needed to solve. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, um, I, there was a big, 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 big project that was one of the bigger projects I think mm -hmm. I've done. And I anticipated, that there might be problems with the post-production end of things mm -hmm. based on the size of the project. Cause it was the biggest one I had done yet. Mm -hmm. 
and it required like 36 hours of work nonstop, mm-hmm. like barely sleeping. And so I knew going into that project, I was like, all right, I'm going to try and mitigate the risk by giving this, um, it was a family by giving this Mm -hmm. family, like the 36 hours of coverage that we were able to provide in raw form. So that Mm -hmm. if anything happens with my end or the production end, they still have all the raw images. Mm -hmm. So I tried to mitigate the risk up front, but still ran into issues. Mm -hmm. I ran into exact issues I thought I was going to run into. And so things took longer, took longer. And this was something where I was like, you know what, it's just taking longer and I'm not meeting my deadlines and I feel awful. Mm -hmm. And at one point I had a family member call me, yell at me on the phone. And I was like, I get it, dude. I feel awful as well. I don't know how to make this happen any faster. Mm -hmm. It can't, like, it's either quality is going to suffer if it happens faster or all things are going to be lost Mm -hmm. in the entanglement of electronics if it happens faster. And so in that case, I was like, let me give you additional items. Let me give you additional albums, um, things to make it work. And in the end, everything was done, you know, eventually, but Mm -hmm. there were so many problems that occurred along the way. And I just, I just had to take the hit and apologize because it's just, you can't, you can't control all factors. Sometimes Mm -hmm. stuff is just going to go wrong and you just have to be willing to say, yes, it sucks. And I feel like I'm not living up to the promise I gave you mm-hmm. and I want better. I just mm-hmm. want to do better. Yeah. I love that. And so like I mentioned before, you let's let's switch a little bit into the TED Talk. Um first of all, you know, how did that happen? <laughs> Because I'm sure like there's a lot of people who who dream of, you know, being a TED and giving a, a speech, you know. How did you ma- actually make that happen for you? And, um, you know, what has this experience actually given you back or taught you about yourself? Um, so the, so there was an invitation, um, kind of like an all call invitation to the university that I had attended and that they were going to do a Ted talk Mm -hmm. that they were going to do a Ted presentation and they were looking for people to apply. And I, it kind of like glossed by me and I was like, (laughs) I don't really know if I'm ready for that. And then somebody actually personally reached out to me. So I wasn't actually in a place of feeling Mm. ready. But when somebody else reached out to me very personally and said, I think you should apply for this. Mm -hmm. I was like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) what would I even talk about? Mm -hmm. And in the space of, I was like, oh my gosh, I have a personal invitation. This, this elevates the level of like importance to Mm -hmm. take the opportunity if it's coming my way. And I was like, what would I even talk about? Um, And really, I felt like the wrestling place of like, how do you wrestle with the questions of finding purpose for your life or finding meaning? Because I I was still in that place. I was still feeling like, I still don't know if I've really found my purpose. And honestly, I don't know if we ever do. I think we just keep trying and exploring and experimenting Mm -hmm. and we find, okay, well, I serve people in this way or I serve people in this way and it aligns with what I love, but what are the questions that help us get there? Mm-hmm. And um, so I submitted my proposal. I had no idea if it was going to go through or not. And, you know, luckily it did. Um, and I think part of that maybe was, you know, some of it was because there was a personal invitation behind it. Um, and so it was, it was me being willing to take a risk when mm-hmm. I didn't feel ready you know, doing the scary thing, Mm -hmm. um, before I felt ready and also being open to sharing that place of being in, not being, not being ready or not knowing, you know, what was going to come out of it. Um, so I, that was really how it happened. And I'm so glad that that, that did happen. I actually wrote several blog posts about Mm -hmm. how I received the invitation, what happened leading up to it, my whole throat, like, like swole was like swollen the oh my day God. before the day of the morning up. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk. Um, <laughs> and I think that was like one of those up leveling moments where, you know, it was just sometimes when I think you are going to do something bigger than you've ever done, your body has this, this, um, subconscious stress yeah. response and you might encounter an illness or you might encounter something. I was like, I have to record my talk somehow. If I can't give it, maybe I'll, like do a voiceover (laughs) 
just just have like a what do you call it like a you just move your lips and somebody else is speaking in the, in the background. Yeah, yeah. I'll just lip sync. I'll just yeah. lip sync. I'll talk. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and doing it like off script and just doing it from memory and kind of just telling that story as it was that was scary too, just off a few slides. Mm. Um, what it has given me, I would say, is really just a way to inspire people, and that's all it ever was in the beginning. Mm. You know, I. I wasn't going into it like I need to sell people on anything. Mm -hmm. I really, what I really wanted to give back to the world was here are a few questions you can ask yourself to help you find your purpose because that sometimes is the hardest thing to do. Mm. And um, if I could just inspire people to be flexible and open mm -hmm. to exploring different things and to not feeling like they have to be in one track or figure it all out by the age of mm. 24 or 25, um, like to be, a, a, to allow it to unfold and to allow it mm -hmm. to continue to develop, um, was really like the idea that I wanted to share at that time. And I still think that's relevant. I still think we're in a place of people needing to realize that they don't have to do one thing. They can try a lot of things and mm. see how it works out. And sometimes that's more fruitful. Yeah. And so for people to have maybe a better idea, like the talk was about, you know, this topic around what would you attempt if you could not fail? And so yeah. I'm just curious, like when has this like key question become so important for yourself? And um, yeah, let's start with that first. Um, it was, you know, initially it was like high school, mm. like the idea that, I wanted to be a Broadway star. Mm -hmm. And then what would, what does that mean? Or what would that look like? If mm -hmm. I was going to take one small step from where I was in high school to do that thing that I wanted to do, what would that look like? And at that time it was like, well, I need to start building up my resume by playing lead roles. Like I'm not going <laughs> to walk onto a Broadway stage without <laughs> being able to lead roles behind me. And so then I decided at that point it was only going to do like lead role mm -hmm performances and um so I even auditioned for like male performances I was just I was just like I just need to meet a bunch of directors <laughs> try a bunch of material if I don't get it that's fine I have more mm -hmm. time to audition for more lead roles I don't want to get stuck in a minor role that's not going to serve my purpose um so that was like but it, where did you get that question from oh I don't even know I honestly don't know it appeared mysteriously on my computer screen. I have no other way to describe that other than somehow one day I looked at my computer screen mm -hmm. and it said, what would you attempt to you knew, if you knew could it fit? Like, like in the days, 1997, 96, where like we had screensavers, which were just words. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if it was just like pulling random quotes offline mm. or what, like where it was pulling that, mm -hmm. um, that thing from but it literally just appeared on my screen like I don't know like out of the movies <laughs> and and how how would you say that has actually you know shaped your life journey so far like what do you think would you where would you be if you know if you hadn't seen that maybe uh, phrase on your computer screen do you think things would be different I think that I would allow fear to continue to drive my decisions. Mm -hmm. I think that that question really helped me look at where, how my fears were controlling me mm -hmm. um, because fear is very powerful, right? There's like the two most powerful feelings are fear and love. Yeah. And when I was being driven by fear, there were so many things I wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. So many things I wouldn't try because I was afraid. I was afraid that I would fail. I was afraid that I would succeed. I was afraid that I would, you know, I don't know, be judged. I was afraid of a lot of things. Mm. And when I, you know, had a question that helped me remove the fear to go forward, mm. then I could kind of approach it from, well, what would be awesome? What mm. would you love? Like, what would be great um, if you weren't afraid of doing it? Mm -hmm. And that was Like, it really was a life shift for me because mm. when you move from that place of making decisions based on fear to making decisions based on what would be really amazing, like the, your ability to up-level and go to new um, new spaces of unknowns that you've never experienced before, that no one in your life has ever experienced before, yeah. um, just 
increases exponentially. Like no one in my family really had entrepreneurship. Like mm -hmm. they, you know, worked for public institutions or for um, just larger corporations. I had no models, but once I removed the fear of failing in this space, mm -hmm. I was able to be like, well, what would be cool? Like if mm. we, you know, if I can make it happen, well, let's just try it. Let's just try it in these little ways. And then if it catches on, you know, like a little ember, it'll suddenly become a flame and then maybe a whole, you know, fire and keep moving me forward. And that's how, that's really how it's, you know, what it's done for me. Yeah. And that, that is pretty like damn cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because like you said, it's, it's always, we're, we literally are only acting from a place of fear or a place of love. And if you find like this tool for you, and in your case, maybe this is the question from somebody else might be something, something else. If you have a tool that, you know, allows you to act in spite of that fear and that, you know, hold back anymore, then this is fucking amazing. <laughs> it really is. It really is. It's, it's harder. It confronts your fears, makes you do different things. But if you're willing to walk in that space, amazing things happen. So um, let's say if you look back on, on the 14 years of experience as an entrepreneur, and if you were to write a book, you know, like the education of a successful female entrepreneur would be like, what would be like uh, the, let's say three main chapters, just like the title things that those people really would need to know about making their business successful? How to fail gloriously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how to learn from failure. Mm -hmm. And then how to do better. Perfect. And so if there was, because we probably have like a wide range of audience, but um, like I said, the, the focus is always females and I want more females to, you know, really go courageously after the life that they really dream of. And so if there was one message that you just would like any woman to know in this world, like from your experience or whatever is near and dear to your heart, what would be this one thing that you want any woman to know? You're not limited by your gender. Mm. You're not limited by your location. You're not limited by your upbringing. You're not limited by your race. You're not limited by your sexuality. Um, those limits are all self-imposed. This is powerful. Yeah. <laughs> and so and and one question I also always ask to anyone I interview is I call it the three nuggets of wisdom. So when if tomorrow would be like, you know, your last day, um everything would be gone. But if you could leave three pieces of wisdom with your like your six year old self and that you would like her to know about, you know, going through life um, after everything that you've been through, what would be those three things that you would like little Anne to know? It's going to be hard, but then it will be easier. Mm. Um, that's probably one. And the second one would be bad things are going to happen, but good things are going to come of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so really it's that lemons turning into lemonade in both of these circumstances, it seems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then to always follow your curiosity, let your curiosity lead you. Um, because when you're curious and you're open to curiosity and mm -hmm. you allow it to kind of guide you, it is, it is the spark that lights the fire. Oh my God. I loved like just the last couple of minutes. This was like so rich and so such good stuff. So if people are interested in working with you, whether it is Reiki or, you know, consulting, even photography, how can people find you or where can they find you best and how can they work with you? Um, well, you can pretty much find me in all the social media places at Ann Ruthman, A-N-N-E-R-U-T-H-M-A-N-N. -N -N. Um, pretty much you just type in my name and you'll find all sorts of ways to <laughs> find me. Um, I also have the website Abundant Sphere, mm -hmm. A-B-U-N-D-A-N-T-S-P-H-E-R-E. 
Um, so like a very abundant sphere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, that's in prog- that's a website that's up right now. I'll also have anruthman.com up eventually, but mm-hmm. that's in the playing space yeah. and the experimentation space right now because it's changing over from being anruthman.com as a photography business to mm-hmm. really honing in and focusing on just the consulting side of things. Because usually people would go through photography to get to me as mm-hmm. a consultant. Now I'm just like, okay, well, photography is something I am retiring and really focusing more on consulting on that side. Amazing. So yeah. guys, girls, <laughs> go check out Anne's, <laughs> Anne's pages. You'll find her, I'm sure. Um, oh, and awesome. and yeah, just thank you so much, Anne. This has been like so great. Um, I've personally learned a lot and I'm sure people got a lot out of it as well. So thank you so much for taking the time, being part of this podcast. And uh, I would love for anyone who's interested in, you know, those topics that we talked about today to go and reach out for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the work you do. You're doing amazing things in the world and I can't wait to see where it goes. Thank you so much for tuning into the Thrive Podcast and spending your precious time with us. If you found this episode valuable and think that others could benefit from it too, please share it with your network, friends and family. I would also be forever grateful if you could go over to iTunes and leave us an honest review about the show. And if you have a comment, question, or topic that you would like to see covered on the show, go to algamuller.com slash thrive podcast. So see you next week, girl. And until then, don't forget that you were meant to thrive. <laughs>